My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. Okay, this is a fun one. A bit of an experiment. As you've been noticing, if you're listening in since my 100th episode, I've been bringing back to celebrate 100 episodes of the Wonder Dome. I've been bringing back different constellations of guests, some of whom knew each other before, some of whom are meeting for the first time. And this one, I decided to bring back a past guest an amazing human being, Rayshana Gray, historian, essayist, creator, uh, teacher, facilitator. And as our co-guest, in a sense, is a, um, a beautiful deck of reflective cards that she created, something like 72 cards, each one with a powerful question on it, printed in an elegant serif font against a white background, we decided to invite the deck in as our, as our host, actually. So in a way, Rayshana and I are the guests for this episode. And I use my voice as an avatar for the modus operandi deck. And I pull a few cards. Some of them I kind of had in mind because there's some really juicy questions in the deck. Others are um, ones that just came out in the moment and we played with. And uh, Rayshana, the creator of the deck, had a chance to answer the questions that she's asking in this deck, inviting other people to ask of themselves and of their loved ones and of their colleagues. And I had a chance to answer some of the questions too, even as I was asking them. So this was a really cool one because I usually don't have a set of questions that I'm going to ask a guest. I rather start with some themes and some threads that I want to pull on. But this time I actually had a deck of 72 questions that I could ask this deck, that ask this guest. And uh, we didn't get to all 72. I think we got to something like three or four or five, but they're really rich and beautiful and evocative. So if, if you listen into this conversation and you're moved by it, you, you can download uh, as a gift. Rayshana is offering a free version of the deck digitally in PDF form, just like a card deck. It's like a deck of playing cards, but instead of these questions. Or uh, you can go to her website, which we'll include in the show notes. And I think she also shares at the end of the conversation and, and purchase a physical copy of, of the card deck. And this is something that you can bring into spaces with other people to evoke the kind of deep, intimate conversations that often get passed over for fear of discomfort or awkwardness or too much intimacy or too much connection, all the kinds of things that are... are uh, a lot of our cultural spaces shy away from. So let's get settled in and hear what these questions from the modus operandi deck 
have for all of us? Here we go. Oh, here we are. Recording is in progress. Thank you, Zoom, for reminding us of that loudly and clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Rayshana, welcome back to the Wonder Dome. Thank you for having me again. It's so good to have you back. This is, I was saying before we started recording, this is a bit of a uh, experiment, maybe for both of us, this, this certainly for me, in that I have begun pretty intensively as I approach my 100th episode, which will have been out in the world for some time by the time folks hear this conversation. It hasn't been released yet. And then as part of that, I've invited back all of these past guests to kind of come for collective conversations, which has been really cool. But but you're the first guest I've invited back for a second time just to have another one-on-one jam. And I'm really excited about that because we had a lot of fun in our first one. The particular catalyst that that just said something pinged in me. I said, ooh, like I want to do a thing with Rayshana that is part of the experiment is that you have, and I'm holding it in my hands, you've produced this really gorgeous and generative deck of cards and they're so simple they use like a simple serif yeah, serif font on you know black text on white card and it's called the modus operandi deck and uh each card has a powerful question on it and my sense is that maybe you've created this beautiful thing you've put it out in the world i've used it in a variety of context, these questions, I've used the questions in a variety of contexts with my clients and my colleagues. And it's just really freaking cool and really special. So my thought is maybe we could take a little time for you to share about why you made it and how you got to it, the deck. And then maybe we could pull some cards from the deck and sort of see what happens in conversation. How does that sound? Sounds good to me. Okay. Yeah. So tell, tell us more about in the midst of, you know, you're this multi-hyphenate human historian, an advocate, um, someone who's working on levels of policy and community. You're doing just all this really cool stuff. What sparked, what, what was the energy that led you to make this, this deck and bring it into the world? Um, well, thank you for having me again. I appreciate being here. Uh, in a word, despair. Then mm. having a tough time collectively. Um, and I care about how we live and I want us to flourish. Mm. And like I was sharing during our first conversation um, on the podcast, uh, how do I say this? I know that I don't have all the answers, but I have a lot of questions. Mm. I have a lot of, uh, I have this impulse to observe the world, um, discern and weigh what I've gathered. I have an impulse to apply what I've gleaned thoughtfully and humanely. And a few years into a global pandemic that's been raging, um, as other issues of our humanity also uh, are going on, 
I wanted something, I wanted to create something that could help people do the same thing. Mm. Um, its predecessor, the, the modus operandi deck's predecessor, is my heart work uh, framework for challenging imposter syndrome, uh, which is essentially about power, place, deserving, how we've been socialized, the stories around our identities and why they became the stories around our identities. And so when I got an opportunity to design a deck of my own, I decided, okay, well, I eventually landed on the number 72 and thought, okay, if I were to leave a stack of prompts at uh, at a bus stop, at a train station, wherever, um, how could I design a deck that would help escort someone through life? Mm. Like literally, mm. the first question is about how someone might welcome their newborn self into the world. Yeah. And the last one is about how they feel about the path they're on. I experience a lot of inner turmoil because I don't understand why the world is the way it is. I struggled uh, often in life because things didn't make sense to me or their origins were... Uh, were unknowable to me or I was alienated from something that I felt like I should have been connected to. And so when I realized that I have a talent for shaving away at certain things, I wanted to share it with the world. Mm. Mm. I love this beautiful image of someone sort of waiting at the bus stop and looking down and seeing this little rectangle of white with like the stark contrast of the like clean black letters. And what is this? And picking up and going like, like, Oh, what has grief taught you about life longing and love? And that's not a, my sense is that's a question that most people either because they have the privilege to ignore questions like this or because they don't have the privilege to take time for questions like this, aren't thinking about when they're just at the bus stop. So there's something kind of both really compassionate about that image you've invoked and also something gently and lovingly provocative about that. To sort of say like, hey, like, you could you could think about this right now, or maybe, maybe even, maybe just maybe, I don't know, who am I to tell you, but maybe you even need to think about this right now. You know, this is something about that, that beautiful sort of jolt of the way your questions could come into someone's consciousness and activate lines of thought and feeling that maybe really have been longing to be activated, but haven't been because no one's been around to ask the question. I am. Um, I, I care very deeply about what I give people, what I give the world. So um, we, we've spoken about like astrology and there are um, tarot cards that have certain astrological associations, blah, blah, blah. But when, when I've had conversations about my deck, I was like, well, you know, sometimes I think of uh, things like the symbols in tarot. Um, I don't want to offer someone a wand that's brittle that'll snap in half. I don't want to offer someone 
a pentacle that's hollow. I want it to have ballast. I don't want to offer someone a sword that bends when it's not supposed to. There are certain swords that are designed for that purpose. You know, I, I don't want to offer someone a, a dirty cup that has water that's not potable. I, uh, and so when I designed this deck, I didn't want to trigger people into oblivion, but I wanted to ask questions that had some heft because we're living in a world that often makes me feel unmoored. Mm. Um, and mm. I know that our individual experiences of the world, our relationships uh, with one another and the institutions that we contend with, I know they can only be enriched if we are self-aware, if we are self-actualized. I'm not saying that this is the perfect 72, but I, I want it to leave people better than Mm. how they how I found them mm. yeah I love the this idea of heft and there's I'm in touch with a possible paradox here in that some of these questions if you're someone who hasn't for for whatever reason by disposition or circumstance taken time or had time to ref, to reflect in the way that these questions provoke reflection this there could there's a way in which they can be quite provocative or quote unquote unmooring, like, whoa, like that's wow. A question like that shakes me up a bit, but, but underneath that shakeup is really a wake up maybe. And that, and, and, and that possibility of anchoring that actually taking time with these kinds of questions could actually anchor us more deeply in uh, our sense of self, our awareness of what we know and don't know our awareness of the ways our societies have been built to privilege certain people and things and ways of being at the expense and suffering of other many people and things and ways of being like all of these things become an anchor point to sort of like in the midst of all of that uncertainty, I can hold steady with this deeper knowledge of self or deeper knowledge of values or deeper knowledge of what, what made me who I am at this moment in time. So there's something really anchoring underneath the provocation that feels very true to me, that these are mooring questions. These are wayfinding questions. I appreciate you saying that. I um, I know that there are people outside of the United States that have the cards. And while we're holding physical versions, I also have digital versions of the deck that I just make available for free. I also make physical ones available for free, but I... I'm focusing on the folks here in the States because I feel like we have a particular puzzle to solve. So many facets of what it means to be here in the States alienate us from ourselves, Mm. make us myopic. Um, For uh, so many facets of being here force us to like sort of paint ourselves into corners and, and be locked in. I, when I get feedback from people, they say things like, you know, I left the cards on my kitchen table and my 12 and 15 year old got into them. And at first I was concerned because some of these questions are weighty. 
Um, but then the parents wind up learning from their children. And that's especially meaningful for me, not just because I think that's a beautiful thing that should happen, but also because I was a kid that wasn't listened to. Mm. Knowing Mm. that there are young people who are teaching their parents, um, knowing that there are elders who are experiencing firsthand how humility and openness can enrich their lives. That's damn near revolutionary. Mm. Mm. And I don't have, I don't have to be there. It's not about my ego. It's just knowing that there is space between people that's now changed for the better as a result of thoughtfulness, as a result of humility and a willingness to listen and a hunger for it. I feel like a few years into this global pandemic where there is quite literally nowhere to run. <laughs> um, that makes me feel good. Mm, mm. That makes me really look forward to a day when I might, my children might, might be old enough to, uh, for me to leave these out somewhere and see what happens. <laughs> and I'm actually been getting this great, I want to say two things. One, I, an, an elder mentor of mine about a year or maybe two years ago now, I asked them a question, something like, what am I supposed to say to my kids about, about this world of ours? How am I supposed to parent in a way that both honors the, like the values I hold, but also honors the person they're becoming and, and, you know, I was just sort of really wrestling with what it meant to be parent as kind of steward of potential. And my mentor just said, your work is to apprentice yourself to your daughter. Your work is to apprentice yourself to your daughter. Hmm. And, I, and I'm still trying to make sense of what <laughs> they meant by that. But the feeling, uh, you just gave me a partial answer to that, to that wisdom that they were trying to share with me, which is to listen to ask, actually ask a question and really listen to the answer uh, is a powerful form of apprenticeship. So you've kind of built that. And, and uh, the other thing I wanted to say, the sort of image I'm getting is this wonderful, almost like kind of puckish, mischievous, imagine if like uh, somehow there were a, a thousand Rishanas or 10,000 Rishanas who could just go and like put a couple cards in every mailbox and in every bus stop and in every, you know, like uh, advert, advert in a subway station and just sort of like, you know, most people might be too busy and to slow down, but like you just catch some people, you know, people will be going, whoop. And that would be a really fun way to be a bit of a provocateur in the midst of the busyness and the rush of our modern lives. Since I've been home in Chicago with my mom, I actually, I have popped a, uh, cards into mailboxes in South Shore and Hyde Park. Really? Just um, like at people just at ran- randomly? That- yep. Oh, um, I love that. Like literally leaving them at bus, not, not in a littering kind of way, but, <laughs> uh, but you know, we talked about astrology last time. I'm a Gemini, right? I'm Mercury ruled. That's, I mean, I'm at the intersection. I'm, I'm, I'm Hermes. I'm, you know, I'm the traveler. I am, I am puckish. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, this is a gift back to a world because I spent 10 years lecture hopping, um, conducting a house of worship. 
you know, I was living in Massachusetts, but I would drive down to Connecticut, go to Rhode Island, go to institutions throughout Massachusetts. I was sitting with Quakers in meeting houses and I was sitting in nature with people that weren't religious. I was going to churches and mosques and synagogues. I was asking people outside my family the questions that were not allowed to be asked at my dinner table. The world and the people in it gave me back to myself. Mm. And I wanted to kind of, when, when you dedicate 10 years of your life to quite literally listening and learning how to ask better questions, I didn't want all of that to have been from, uh, how do I say this? Not that it would have ever been for nothing. I would have been changed, but I wanted that to pass through me and benefit mm. the broader society that helped make me. Mm. 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 Yeah. The sort of gift of realizing that the 10 years you've spent in that process of deepening and listening and provoking and discerning, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if we all could go on that journey if we wanted to, and, and maybe more of us can than we think, but to also realize that your, your, the life you've lived and the path you've walked up into this moment doesn't have to just be contained inside of, of your body and your consciousness, that there's ways in which all of you, all of, all of the things and ideas you've taken in can then be sort of thrown back out into the collective consciousness space. And, and, you know, you don't necessarily control how someone answers the question, but the fact that they might ask it of themselves for the first time is a really beautiful gift to give. Yeah. That, that, that control bit is real because I, I realized that we don't, the, the world is not, how do I say this? The world is more than just like Pollyanna, sentiment, there will be some people that encounter the questions and they might use them to perpetuate a worldview that I don't agree with. Mm. Um, but I designed my deck with certain parameters in hopes that I've limited the ways my tools can be misused. Mm. Mm. I, um, I, you know, I was, I was thinking even down to the dimensions of the physical cards, every deck is packaged with a magnifying lens card and a, a gray drawstring pouch instead of a cardboard tuck box. I want people with a range of mobility to be able to open and close it. Mm. I um, I want people with a range of, of, of visual ability to be able to interact with it. Mm. Um, I, it, it matters how people encounter it. I was constantly questioning what assumptions I was making by designing certain prompts. I thought about each prompt as a beneficiary, an actor, and an ancestor. I thought about how they relate to one another, how these prompts might morph or wilt over time. And I've considered all of the ways um, that I'll know and might not ever know um, that the deck could be biased because I am a human being and I am a product of my, um, of my socialization and worldview. Um, it's incredibly complex. And I've thought about the expansion deck and the, and translating it into other languages and including Braille. 
Yeah, it's a lot. Mm. Mm. My intuition at this moment is maybe we should start to play with some of the cards in the deck. You want to do that? Okay. And I didn't know that this, you, you described this earlier as the, the first question in the deck, and maybe there's a way in which each package comes in order. I've since shuffled it up quite a bit, but one of my favorite questions is what you described as the first question in the deck, which is, imagine meeting your newborn self. Imagine meeting your newborn self. How do you welcome yourself into the world? And my invitation is maybe if you wanted to answer that question, how you would answer it for yourself, or if you wanted to talk about the uh, intentionality or possibility behind the question, I, I'll give you latitude to play with it in whatever way you want. Um, when, when you reached out for a second conversation, a second podcast interview, I was considering, I was like, okay, well, how might I answer any one of the 72 prompts? Like, I wonder which ones he might pick. Um, and I'll be honest, that is, I think I mentioned this before, that prompt is probably the one that either made me the most nauseated or scared me the most, or maybe it just rattles me the most because of the circumstances around my birth. Uh, quick recap, um, my mom was 21 when she was pregnant with me and she had, you know, a stroke and underwent, uh, you know, in a series of seizures while pregnant and underwent brain surgery and learned to read, write, walk, and talk again when I was very small. And because of her circumstances and the ways that she was vulnerable, because my father was um, was absent and is now spending like the rest of his life in a, in a prison, like he's essentially a stranger. So there's like no, um, there's no, uh, I don't know, sorrow around it. Um, but I've had to mourn a lot. I've had to contend with the fact that because my parents were vulnerable in their own ways, I was also exposed to things I never should have been exposed to. Mm. I was vulnerable in ways that I, I, that still affect me. And there's, I have an immense amount of grief around a lot of those moments, a lot of anger, a lot of resentment, a lot of frustration. Um, and then, you know, growing up and being black and being a little girl who's now a woman and, um, being from where I'm from, experiencing poverty, soul crushing poverty, um, for years at a time, um, it, it did a number on me and it made me, I often felt like, well, why am I even here? Like the life is unfair. The world is dangerous. Um, no one, including people who look like me, no one has been socialized to honor my dignity, to be like, oh, yes, I I recognize and honor uh, the dignity of Black folks. I mean, that's that's a key part of racism and like a, a culture that's white supremacist at its roots. Like the reason why we have these movements is because there are demographics of people whose humanity and dignity have not been respected. And so I was saying that I was alluding to our earlier conversation where we did mention astrology and I sort of in a tongue in cheek way was like some of your listeners who follow that system of thought will know what I mean when I say that I have 400 Capricorn placements. I'm like, I don't I don't want to be vulnerable and stay vulnerable. Mm. I don't want to think mm. about the fact that um, that when my mother was carrying me, she needed certain um like she 
we were in a medically induced coma, mm. right? That's how I met my mm. mother. You know, I think about the fact that um, I'm glad that I had a broader community that was able to assist her. But that degree of vulnerability scares me and it angers me. And then for me to have these experiences um, in my home and then go out into a world where everything just felt difficult really made me wonder what I was even doing here. Mm-hmm. People, people always like, Rashana, you always ask such existential questions. I'm like, that's because I really, mm. what is on the other side of confusion and suffering, right? I want to use all that Capricorn energy to build a path right, to understand and resist, to be as strong and resilient as possible so I never have to feel these things again. And so to go to your question, to go back to your question, um, I would probably embrace my newborn self, like quite literally pick myself up, hold myself in my own arms and say, you belong here. (sighs) This world is just as much yours as it is everyone else's, right? The earth is Eden too, um, don't forget person with all, with, you know, it's when you have a lot of Capricorn places, it's like Saturn himself puts his hand on your shoulder. And it's just like, my God, am I on the chain gang? Like what cosmic crime did I commit that in this incarnation, I've got all these mountains. Um, but there's something, how do I say this? It's incredibly heartening when I, you know, I'm sitting on my mom's couch and I'm looking up at pictures of myself, my mom and us together, you know, throughout life. I'm looking at a picture of myself as an infant right mm. now. Mm. And I'm mm. thinking, wow, you know, despite everything that she was exposed to, despite everything that she will experience, including the things that she was never prepared for, especially the things she was never prepared for. Look at how she persevered. Right. If no one was socialized to honor her humanity and dignity, I was. Mm. Mm. I do it. Um, I'm in a position to look at my own life and say, um, I incarnated into a world that was tough and I didn't let up. I dug my heels in and I looked for beauty and I asked questions. And I was invested enough to stay in it until something moved. And because of that inherent human impulse to be here for something, to understand something, to connect to something, because of all that, I still exist. And I found ways to thrive and I found ways to connect and I found ways to value what I had been through. Um, so yeah, telling myself that I belong here and that the world is just as much my birthright as it is everyone else's. Mm. That's probably how I would do that. Fuck yeah. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Oh. Hmm. A part of me wants to pull another card and a part of me wants to share um, an experience I actually had recently of, of 
answering this question hmm. for myself. I'm curious which uh, which feels energizing for you. Well, hell, but I want to know everything. <laughs> My dream is to be omniscient to tell me everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe I, I want to just check in. Why do I want to share this story? I, you know, there's a part of me that just wants to share it because there's something so potent. What's so potent about this question, maybe to, to your point, even to the point where it could feel nauseating, is it invites us, it invites me, I'll speak for myself, it invites me to slow down and go back to a moment where um, it, it really was life or death. And it really was like, I'm alive and I have no agency over whether or not I keep living. You know, my heart's going to do its thing, hopefully, and my lungs are going to do their things, hopefully. And But beyond that, like, at, at, mer- at mercy. And I was... And I think that's what I'm touching into. And maybe I want to share with anyone who's listening in the way that you shared so beautifully and powerfully is um, even if even if someone had the most sort of privileged arrival into this world of ours, you know, with the best medical staff and everyone's healthy, there's still this uh, deep mercy at at the core of our ability to arrive into this world and to live long enough to grow up in it. Mm. You know, I was born with a condition called pyloric stenosis, which basically meant my stomach was pinched shut. So I couldn't drink my mother's milk. I would just regurgitate it. I was, I was an infant and I was literally starving to death. And uh, I remember at some point as a teenager reading about the culture of Sparta, which, you know, um, was a Greek culture of militant sort of culture and a practice they had, a pretty brutal, scary practice that they they took on to, like, you know, sub, I guess, make themselves stronger and ensure the, the sort of genetic purity of their people was if an infant was born with any sort of deformity or issue or illness, they they killed that baby. Right. And like that's like talk about being at the mercy of 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 these adult humans you've never met and you arrive as an infant. So I was born and I, and I remember as a teenager going like, wow, if I had been born on Sparta, they would have thrown me off a cliff. (sighs) They would have thrown me off a cliff. And, uh, 40 years ago at the time, I, so I underwent a surgery to repair my stomach. And at the time, you know, they didn't have orthoscopic surgery. It was, um, just literally like Cut, cut back the skin, cut open the muscle, peel it all back, get to the organs inside. And I, and, and I ended up that, that ended up that surgical wound ended up getting infected. And so I was in the hospital for 10 days. My, my, as far as I understand it, and I don't remember this, but my body remembers this. And, you know, my parents remember this. So I have some secondhand accounts. Like I was in isolation. So no one could come in just like, rub my head or pick me up, you know? So if I could go back and welcome my newborn self into the world, and I actually had a chance to do this with my therapist, I actually had a chance to, to go in my mind's eye and my imagination and show up in that hospital and walk through all the, the sort of medical barriers and just, just like touch this little infant and say like, you're going to be okay. And I'm, and someone's here for you. 
And, and the power of that experience for me was really healing. And uh, your question, I think, is a, is a question that could invite people into a level of healing that maybe to a certain extent we all need because being birthed into the world is one of the most precarious and intense experiences that a living being could have. I, I appreciate you uh, sharing your story in more detail, um, like in, in non-podcast interview conversations. I've heard you mention uh, that part of your life before. And I, I, I know I don't normally like speak over into people's lives, but I just this is just me observing. I know for a fact that that's going to touch someone. I just know it. I just know it. And the reason why it touched me on an additional level um, I mean, if, how do I say this? I'll, I'll zoom out in a bit, but on a very visceral level, like just like the earth, our bodies remember, right? Like muscle memory exists for a reason. Like, and it's not just about the things that we see. Um, we, we remember even, even when the memory sort of sits in the, in the back of our minds, I, there's this, uh, how do I say this? Um, gosh, I feel like whenever I bring up uh, a quote to you, I'm always like, I'll have to Google it and then give it to you for the show notes. But there's <laughs> a, a quote that I'm about to butcher is um, the one about how, uh, oh gosh, I, I really don't want to mess it up. But like basically over every single blade of grass, there's an angel that leans over it and, and, and whispers grow. Mm. I am. I think that on top of the things that we experience viscerally, just like how we are comforted, a lot of people are comforted by being held, especially infants, in a very real way. Like, I think it's revolutionary for boys and men to sit with that question Mm. Um, Mm. because the tenderness, Mm. the desire for it, and the naked, transparent, bold face, I need tenderness is socialized out of y'all. Yeah. Same thing with white people. Um, or, you know, lots of cultures that are not collectivist, but are more lean more toward individualism. Um, it's just like individualism, yay, agency, yay, autonomy. But that's also like alienation. Mm. It's, mm. A person can be ostracized into being an individual. Um, mm. Don't you feel tethered? Um, I just, it's wild to me that like birth is quite literally, whether it's by C-section or, you know, um, pushing. Uh, uh, it's like we are tethered to mm. the person who creates our body through an umbilical cord. That's severance, mm. right? You are now disconnected and then expected to go out into a world that is, that can be quite brutal. And the language for its brutality is like very well developed, deeply entrenched, present in every facet of our lives. What do we have to counteract that? I, you know, a lot of what's behind that prompt for me is the sentiment. You know, my mother didn't get a baby shower. Um, 
you know, because my mother was 21, Black, single, and in an abusive family, I'm sure I was considered a burden. Mm. And on some Mm. level, no matter how good my resume looks, um, no matter how, you know, authentic all 400 Capricorn placements make that desire for achievement, um, no matter how good it feels to sort of put a stake in the ground and say, I did it. Um, I was born a little, what, six pound ball of mush, (laughs) like a lot of people. Um, And it was my mother's impulse to grow, redevelop, relearn. Um, It was her insistence on sort of bending over me and whispering grow Mm. that helped me get here. Mm. I didn't Mm. get here on my own. I even learned as an adult how to go into my own mind and receive myself because of tenderness that I've witnessed other people demonstrate. Mm. Most of who I am is a result of the people that I've encountered and the things that I've learned from them. Mm. And I'm, I feel, I feel very fortunate. Mm. Mm. Thanks Rishana. Wow. Wow. We're one question in, only 71 more to go. (laughs) Here, I think maybe uh, my instinct is to, if that, I feel complete around that prompt. That was really beautiful. And we could even end the recording here if we wanted to, but we have like another 20 minutes. So I'm going to shuffle the deck. I kind of picked, I didn't shuffle. I was like, I want to bring that question. So I like, that was, I used my host host prerogative to, but now I'm just going to, you can see me here. I'm, I'm sort of. I'm no, I'm no card shark, but I'm doing my best to shuffle the deck. I'm so excited. I'm like, I wonder which yeah. one it'll be. Yeah, and I'm going to sort of ask you, like, you can kind of, you can kind of guide my hand, like, just tell me when to stop, and I'll pick the one that I stop on. If you can see. Okay, and stop. Okay, got it. Got it. This is so Pull exciting. <laughs> this is. This is fun. All right, let's see how we do. Put the deck down. Mm-hmm. Questions. You you moved your shoulders. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. This is just me getting in my body here. What could you benefit from releasing? What might release enable you to do, have, and be parentheses come? What might release enable you to do, have, and be parentheses become? So again, you could answer the question for yourself. You could talk about the spirit of the question and why you wrote it. Um, Well, goodness. For this one, I will start with um, the parentheses. So there are a few prompts in the deck that when I designed them, I was like, well, release can enable us to be something different. But there's being um, is not necessarily becoming. And so I wanted to draw a Mm. distinction Mm. between a state of existence and the path or the circumstances we undergo in order to get there. Mm. And so a a few of the prompts will have something like that uh, in case folks are wondering. I am, I'll be honest, I've had to deal with a lot of loss in my life beyond death and grief. Um, I've had, things taken away from me. I've had, you know, 
positions that I worked very hard to get into, you know, lay wind up ending in a layoff. And it's like, I spent 10, 15 years getting here. I've only been here two years. It's like I you know, I joke that as an elder millennial, I've been laid off more times than my grandfather. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like he was born in 1940 in Mississippi and I've been laid off more times than he has. Like we are designing society wrong. What is mm. happening? Mm. Um, my God. <laughs> um, and so I have a very uh, contentious relationship with loss because I, I often felt like things were just slapped out of my hand and I just sort of had to deal with them. Um, and so when I'm not focusing on all the Capricorn placements, I'm focusing on the Scorpio placements. How do I, how does life require me to die so that I can live? What, Mm. what relief might I experience if I decide to shave, shave or carve something away? Um, right now I'm, for some reason I have like an, uh, an example from like, um, um, a video that I saw of someone shearing a sheep. Mm. Uh, The first time I saw the video, I was like, oh, wow, you know, I'm someone who knits. I think it could be wonderful to, you know, uh, sort of make a a really nice sweater or a scarf or whatever. But then the person that was doing the shearing, they said, you know, not only do we use, you know, what we, what we shave off, what we shear off, but it's also for the health of the animal. an animal with a very tiny frame might have two or three times its body weight just in fur and the dirt that it's collected and all of that gets caked in and they're uncomfortable, Mm. Um, you know, and their limbs can't support the weight of everything they have to carry. It's actually, it's, it would be unethical Mm. for us to not do this. And so when I think about this prompt, I just think, What's all the all the mess, all the shit that I've picked up along the way that I would benefit from releasing or sharing off? I realized that um, for me, healing my relationship with loss is key. Not everything that's lost. Uh, uh, how do I say this? I don't have to keep everything. Um, And in fact, I would be doing myself a disservice if I tried to hold on to everything. Um, I recently moved back home to Illinois from Massachusetts and I really had to pare down my earthly belongings. Like I I spent 13, 14 years in Massachusetts Mm -hmm. and I flew home with two big suitcases and two carry-ons and to have to condense my life out of necessity, um, was one thing, but when I got to Illinois, after I took a nap for a week, after I slept <laughs> for a week, I felt incredibly free. Mm. I felt nimble. And as I was preparing for this move and this trip back home, I remembered parsing through pieces of paper that I had held on to, you know, half half completed scarves that I meant to knit, things that were no longer in a condition to do with what I designed uh, because so much time had elapsed. Um, And so healing my relationship with loss um, helps me feel free. It it reminded me of my agency. It reminded me that I, I deserve to be free. 
Mm. Um, and not mm. deserve in that I've worked hard to be free. No, freedom's my birthright. Mm. Um, mm. I wasn't born with any of this stuff. And one day I won't be here and I won't be able to take it with me. Um, how am I living my life in a way that allows for me to be nimble? Um, yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm still thinking about that prompt. But those those things come to mind. How am I doing myself a disservice by hanging on to everything or by desiring to hang on to everything? And what broken heart, what fear, what trauma is that former desire rooted in? Well, I experienced a lot of housing insecurity. And so if I couldn't keep a place to live, I was at the very least going to keep my stuff and mm. drag it from place to place. Mm. Um. Yeah, that that comes to mind. Mm. Mm. Okay. Got maybe like 11 minutes left. We might have time for one or two more. I'm going to shuffle the deck again. Mm. Really in touch with the, as I shuffle, I'm in touch with the ways in which sometimes we have to release something and sometimes we are released from something, Mm. even if we don't want to be or think we don't want to be. What a mercy. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And, and the beauty of that question, what could you potentially benefit from releasing? It sort of could also maybe ask like, what, what is the potential benefit of you being released from something? You know, that's like a shit. I got laid off. This sucks. Oh, maybe, maybe it doesn't suck. Maybe there's shit. I have to get rid of all this stuff. That's Oh, maybe I'm lighter now. Oh, that's, you know, so I love the sort of surprise in that question. All right, I've got the deck splayed out again. I'm going to start to move my finger. You tell me oh, when to stop. Okay. Okay, and stop. All right, I think that's this, this one. This is so exciting. Okay. Come on out there. I'm going to reorganize the deck before I read the card. Ooh. Oh, this feels really relevant to what we've been talking about. How can societies, how can societies honor and safeguard human dignity? How can societies honor and safeguard human dignity? Let's see. So, so you know how, um, back in my networking days, pre-pandemic, um, I, (laughs) I would often be sort of taken aback when people would not flip my own questions back on me, but I didn't realize that, and maybe this is the neurodivergence. Maybe this is me being naive. I did not know that some people ask other people questions just so that they can turn around and be asked the question. I was like, oh, that's news to me. And so I am truly bowled over by my own prompts because I, <laughs> I never expect to be on the receiving end of them. So let's see. Um, yeah, and again, you know, you can speak to what what moved you to ask the question, or you could speak to some sense of you, how you you Rayshana might answer this question you've asked. So, I, either or both are welcome. I am. I'm gonna. Well, that question came out of frustration at the state of the world. I'm like, we for all of us to be human, and for all of us to be 
failing each other really sucks. <laughs> like maybe mm-hmm. if we could all sit down with this question, we might have more robust language for what it means to be in the world and how we can move towards something better. But yeah, right now I'm thinking about the way that I set up my own life. No matter what neighborhood I'm living in, I'm probably going to, you know, go to its museums and its cultural centers. I'm probably going to introduce myself to my neighbors. I'm probably going to, you know, be clued into legislation that's basically a broad conversation about this essential question. What do we, quote unquote, owe one another? How do we structure societies in ways that don't miss anyone? Um, I, this is going to be very Pollyanna, but I think that one of the first steps is admitting that, that it's important that we do so, right? Mm-hmm. Understanding that it's our failure to honor and safeguard human dignity that's underneath so many of our societal woes. And if we don't want to live this way, then it is truly within our power to do something about it. I think, especially when I was younger, I, I, I understand as an adult that these issues are incredibly complex. Uh, I've worked on public policy. I hope to go back into that work. And whether it's, you know, Massachusetts uh, getting a pay equity bill or, you know, so that people can see their full dollar for the work that they put in, whether it's a healthy youth bill that, you know, provides children with education and language for their own bodies so that they can have and enforce healthy boundaries, right? So that they understand that they are a person unto themselves, whether we are creating legislation to protect our water and raise our collective standards so that we don't have people uh, ingesting things that shouldn't be ingested, right? So that they're not living in buildings with toxins, in the materials um, that go into the place that they're inhabiting, whether we are engineering safeguards so that people with um, bad intentions are less capable of harming people en masse. I I think just even having the prompt invites people to step outside the bounds of their own households because life is about more than our individual families. When I think about um, that prompt, it I wanted to put that card in there because I think that we forget about our agency. I think that the dismay and the despair gets so loud sometimes that we forget who's in the driver's seat. Um, mm. When I was working on legislation, quite literally in the room as the bill was being written, quite literally in the room when the governor's signing it, I was telling another buddy, I'm like, not even the governor is alone in the room, right? All of their predecessors are there. All the governors that will sign legislation who will come after them in the future are present. Mm. Every person mm. that helped them learn how to hold a pen and write their name, they are also in the room. Mm. Every teacher's mm. in the room, right? We have... We have moral imperatives and social responsibilities that tether us to one another. And I take that very seriously. Mm. I care about how we live. I am. And it baffles me because I'm like, we're the same people that developed language over millennia. We're the same people that went to the moon and observed the stars. We are the same people 
right? I'm talking to you from Chicago, right? I look up at a skyline that I marveled at as a child. And even as a child, I thought, wow, look at us using our individual and collective knowledge to build something useful and beautiful and complex, right? I'm talking on... I'm talking on Zoom with you. We're two people who directly benefited from the individual and collective knowledge of teams of surgeons, right? Neither Mm. one of us Mm. would be here if people Mm. weren't humane, diligent, thorough embodiments of what they learned, right? Mm. If they weren't intentional enough to be, and I'm not saying that, (laughs) that, that, uh, that medicine, you know, especially Western medicine, I'm not saying that we always get it right or that people don't live with lasting effects of these uh, physical things that, that we experience. And I'm like, we are far more capable than we give ourselves credit for. And that also means we are responsible. If we're not going to do it, who will? Mm. I, yeah, I just, I put that prompt in there because I wanted individuals to recognize that we are collectively engineering a world and that the choices we make to act or not act will have implications that stretch far beyond our lifetimes mm-hmm. and it's a and that contention that that wrestling match is is something that every generation has to contend with that's what i mean by the prompt being a cultural beneficiary, cultural actor, and cultural um, um, sort of uh, benefactor. We have inherited a world with all of its itinerant problems, with all of the issues that put us at odds with one another. We are, as individuals, um, expressions of our socialization, our unique cultural inheritance, the unique bodies of knowledge that come out of those cultural traditions. And when we apply them, thoughtfully, humanely, toward humane ends, good things can happen. Um, The beautiful, robust, just society can be built. It can. um, And we see glimmers of it. Um, That prompt always makes me emotional. Yeah. Yeah, really. The moment where you shared the story of you and your buddy while the governor was signing the legislation and your insight that that person who we have all actually collectively, whether we're conscious, we're conscious of not invested our authority into, like we have authorized them to be the person who says this will become law. And in the same way, they have been authorized by the, by everyone who came before them, not just all the governors who came before them, but, but every teacher and, and caretaker and the person who helped them write the pen. And, and that all of us are recipients, for better and for worse, of the choices that our ancestors have made and that other people's ancestors have made. Hello. Yep. Yeah. So we're, we're arriving here at our time boundary. My intuition, tell me if this, this resonates with you, is to pull one more card and then just that's the end. The question is the end. How do you feel about that? That makes me really happy. Yeah. And do you, do it, so we could either do the kind of like random pull from the deck or if there's a particular card that you really love or find provocative, like I want to give you a choice about, about how we get to that last question. 
let's see. Um, oh gosh. Um, oh Lord. I'm sorry. Uh, could you, could you pick for us? Sure. You want me to just pick? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm excited. <laughs> okay. All right. Here's what I'm going to do. I have, um, I have two, I have one question I've already picked cause I love it. And I mentioned that to my email to you. And I'm also going to pick another question at random from the deck. And then I'm going to decide which one I like the best. Does that sound all right? Sounds good. Sounds all right. Good. All right. So let's see. Okay. There's the card from the deck. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with this question. So, um, this is this question, maybe before I read it, I'll, since we're closing this, that we're going to end with a question. Here's what I want to say before I read it. Reshana, I am deeply grateful to you and indebted to you for all of the ways that you have uh, touched my life personally. And for all the ways I see you working to touch the lives of everyone that you meet and encounter with integrity and with a respect for their dignity and a respect for yours. So thank you for returning to the Wonder Dome, for making this beautiful deck of cards that are so provocative and generative and generous and um, really just, yeah, appreciate you. I will try not to cry. I appreciate you <laughs> saying that. It really is a labor of love. Yeah. And the question we could close with that we'll leave today is, you enter a space, you enter a space filled with versions of you at different stages in your life. Which you do you approach or hope approaches you first. Which version of yourself do you approach or hope approaches you first? And with that question, we say thank you for everyone listening. May you go meet and greet a version of yourself that needs you right now or that you need. Um, Last word to you, Rishana. <laughs> I told you I was going to try not to cry, but it didn't happen. Uh, so <laughs> the, uh, during our first uh, podcast interview, I mentioned that the night before my eighth grade graduation, when I was 14, I pulled a chair onto the porch of my childhood home. And, I, you know, it's nighttime. And I, I looked up at the, at the firmament, at the ether, whatever I'm calling it. I'll, again, I'll call it something else in six months. Catch me later. But um. I pulled out that chair and I asked whatever, whoever was listening, you know, help me, like, help me live a life I can be proud to live. And, you know, it, after I, once, once I started high school, things started to get very difficult. Um, whether it was, you know, being unfairly, like, arrested by the Chicago PD, um, handcuffed to a pole, right, and being taken in a cop car to a jail in Wrigleyville for something I didn't do. Um, and now as, as a nearly 36-year-old woman who 
realizes that she's neurodivergent, how I've had a rough road, not just because of race or gender or money or lack of access to it, but also just because my brain is quite literally different. And I've quite literally been vulnerable in ways I never realized and could, mm. really could not understand it. Mm. And I'm going to be very real with y'all. I have so many questions because there is just so much I don't understand. But when I think about the different me's that I'm in a position to either greet or be greeted by, I would love to walk up to my 14 year old self and tell her that we got the job done. Mm. Mm. I want to tell her like, Hey, Hey kid, your heart is something else, right? Your resolve is something else. You haven't seen the circumstances yet. That'll require you to apply it, but you really are. You really are something else. And there are something else, but no more than anyone else, but no less than anyone else. There are people and communities and institutions out there in the world that need what you have, that, that don't just like want it or, or claim to want it on their um, mission page or the About Us page on their website. There are spaces that need people who, mm. who dig and who persist and who ask sincere questions, not because they want attention, but because they have a very strong feeling that the tenor of a conversation needs to change, needs to change because hollow conversation gets us nowhere. It's beneath our dignity and a waste of our time in a world rife in a world rife with such suffering. Um, I, it's not lost on me that we live in a society where teenage girls are just not taken seriously, right? Like they want to talk about nails and hair. And I, I'm a fan of nails and hair. I have both. I've had both nails and hair uh, for decades and they're great. But a 14-year-old Black girl on the south side of Chicago with a single mom and a dad in prison who's being raised in a multi-generational household with her grandparents who grew up picking cotton in 1940s and 50s Mississippi has also created legislation, right? She also conducts research that helps contribute to how people live and how people consider their cultural inheritance. Mm. She gives me the gift of, um, of, how do I say this? Of taking me seriously. Mm. And I take her mm. seriously. She honors my dignity and I honor hers. Yeah, and her wonder and that sincerity has kept me my entire life, even when no one else understood me. Mm. Mm. I appreciate her very much. Mm. Mm. Ah, yeah, let's take a moment to appreciate her and you and for all of us listening, myself included and you included and everyone else, let's take a moment to appreciate all the yous who lived so that you might be here in this moment in your life and with us. 
This has been a real treat. Oh, goodness. I had to get some tissue. I started crying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, it's been uh, such a gift to be with you again. And uh, thank you for coming back to the Wonder Dome for making this deck. And I hope that everyone listening goes out and buys a copy, a hard copy, because they're beautiful. And I know that also you have generously shared a digital copy that we'll include in the show notes of the Modus Operandi deck. And if people listening want to find out more about your work and what you're up to, including but not limited to the deck, where, sh- where should they go? Oh, so my website is theidealog.info, uh, www.theidealogue.info. Um, all my info is on there. I welcome you. Okay. Well, thank you, Rayshana, and thanks everyone for listening. This has been a gift. Thanks for tuning in to the Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Sirqua, and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep the show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now, more than ever.